All right, so Charles, let's hear it. Uh, oh, oh, my Peterson. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. not. Like I said, I didn't really work on it. I I don't think of it in terms of uh, in terms of doing whole sentences. I only like doing Peterson in the context of his disingenuous interviews, where like I think I'm thinking mostly of the one with Jay Caspi and Kang, where uh, he's like so. So you're saying that men and women can't work together? Maybe. Perhaps. I don't know. I didn't I say that. Know. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't say that. I, there's, there's not been a lot of time where men and women have been. But it's not a very good impression. That's actually I, pretty I just good. Like, the degradation of the academy and the modern man in the workplace is a recent <laughs> phenomenon exposed most recently in Frozen. <laughs> but I, I mean, I just, I just like that. I mean, he gives long, articulate, sort of meandering answers. Right. Which are not always fully terrible. I think other people have said this, but the stuff that's uh, that he says two things, things that are either obvious or false. And so <laughs> and so and so what's true, you knew already. And the rest of it is just made up. Yeah. And so and so like he's like, oh, well, you know, the reason women uh, where makeup is to look, uh, they wear lipstick to look like a, a vagina. And then it's like, hmm, it's a little much. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it, like it's a, a little, a little, it's, a little too precise. It's to, to simulate sexual arousal. <laughs> you know, and I mean, it's just, it's just really, it's really very, very funny. And then, it, and it's all about, like he ends up sounding like an imam and he doesn't get it. Like he like like he is just sort of <laughs> all of it ends up all of it ends up being this real sort of very oh it's like the thing he hates the most and it it's what it ends up reducing down to is that all of these women have to sort of behave differently and accede to men's natural uh to men's natural superiority because as soon as Bugs Bunny walks by in a dress, they go all a wooga and are completely non-functional. So what you're saying is, in addition to his other crimes, uh, he's culturally appropriating Islam. He is. Yeah. He is. <laughs> and Bugs Bunny. And Bugs Bunny. He's, uh, the, uh, yeah, Looney Tunes is going to want a word.
know you could have stayed home, just cried and cussed me Or your guns go off if it's time to bust me Or they tanks have time to rush They got the armies turning bullets in the gold Hey, good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of Mike Dick, America's Best Named Legal Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Starr. Uh, with me today, I've got everybody's coming back, pretty much how it's going to be from now on. Everyone say hello to Tarek. Uh, hello. Oh, you didn't do it. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm Rich Lather. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. you. Oh, God, you almost... Oh man, it's been too long, my friend. The hell dude died. Rich Lathers. <laughs> oh, uh, the king is dead. Long live the king. All right, uh, everyone. Uh, Adam is back. Hey, folks. And coming back, uh, long time uh, no here. Uh, hey, how's it going, Mike? Good. Glad to be back. Uh, glad to have you. So we've got uh, Supreme Court term just ended, of course. Uh, with uh with a bang uh which is uh sort of a huge explosion in the face of all decent people uh uh so we've got a bunch of cases from the end of the term uh and of course kennedy retired so we'll end up inevitably talking about him but we're gonna start with a case we talked about before uh which is janice versus AFSME, the american federation of state county and municipal employees uh we talked about it before. We predicted that exactly this would happen. 5-4 decision uh, holding agency fees for public sector unions uh, invalid as a violation of the First Amendment, uh, which, uh, Tarek, you want to take the first word here since this was your uh, bailiwick for a while? Well, you know, I've got a lot of feels about this in general, as you know, um, but the thing I'm really struggling with is you only have two options for Alito here, right? I mean, he's either bought and paid for, uh, or he's the biggest nerd, uh, in the, on the planet. I mean, this guy has, <laughs> this guy took, took aim, uh, at this completely innocuous, wholly baked in, uh, case in Abood, um, around which labor structures have been built and resting comfortably, in fact, even deteriorating, uh, you know, uh, on a on a slow basis uh, under these rules for, for for four decades, right? And this guy gets here and decides that he's got to take this thing down. Uh, and to his credit, uh, over about well, I don't know what the, the, the length of it's time like six was, years, like six years or so, uh, he did it. He did it. I mean, this wasn't some innocuous outlier in the law. Uh, that was sitting there causing problems. I mean, this was literally a foundational bedrock principle of labor law, um, and now it's gone. And I find it incredible, uh, both that this guy was on this mission and that he succeeded. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, just to back up a little and explain again what agency fees are for non-Mike Dicta completists who don't want to go back and hear our first discussion of Janice. Uh, Originally, uh, basically, a lot of public sector unions are agency shops, which is the state agrees to bargain exclusively with one union. And they are the, so we have an exclusive bargaining agent for all people. And they would charge them dues. They would charge them union dues. And in a booed, a guy complained and he said, ah, this is ridiculous. My union dues are not going to 
my bargaining agent, my union dues are going to my union, like going out and doing all this political stuff, endorsing candidates I hate and like endorsing non-union act- activity that I don't like. And so I'm paying for all of this political activity. And so I don't think that I should have to pay these dues. And what Abood said was like, ah, that's partly right. You know, you're paying these dues and the union does all sorts of stuff. And I don't even like me, Charles, I don't even agree with this distinction. I think like it's more analogous kind of to taxes where like they just spend your money. However, uh, you know, they people voted in the union and that you're just stuck with that. But they read in this First Amendment right because public sector employees are different than private sector employees. And so you can't coerce their speech on this political stuff. So we will split it up. We will say the the fee, the part of the union dues that are chargeable to collective bargaining and grievance processing and other benefits that the union specifically provides, you can still charge everybody for because they're getting the benefit of it. But you have to calculate how much of your expenses go to non-chargeable things like political activity or whatever else you want to stick in the non-chargeable category. And so since Abood, uh, they have had to provide uh, a distinction between chargeable and non-chargeable activities presumably the state is who audits them and then and then it's just sort of split up and it's fine and then you know you flash forward to a couple of years ago in friedrichs and then here in janice the guy's like well they're saying that 80 percent of what they do is is concerted is chargeable activity so he's so he argues that not only do i oppose the political stuff, but I also oppose collective bargaining itself as political activity. Uh, I think that I think that uh, all of this is political activity because Illinois is in a financial crisis, and if my my union gets me benefits that are too good, it only worsens the crisis. Therefore. Uh, I oppose paying any agency fee at all. Well, but, I mean, isn't it isn't it the case that that, that there's sort of an argument that uh, negotiating with the government as employer is basically lobbying the government? Anyway? Yeah, that's that's you know? yeah, that's what they said. They said it's they they effectively said that collective bargaining in a public sector context is like lobbying. Yeah, because you're Which, you're trying to get something out of the government just like everybody else. Uh, so there's yeah. no different. It's like it's just such a. I mean, and that, of course, flies in the face of all of the precedent that says that when the government is acting as an employer, as opposed to acting as a sovereign, those are distinct. Those are distinct things and they should be treated distinct. The union, and I've said this on, I was saying this on Twitter before, none of this has changed the responsibility on the union, which is to be the exclusive bargaining representative of all the employees in the bargaining unit whether they pay dues or not. Uh, and it's not, um, it's just true that those sorts of things cost money. 
uh, putting together a bargaining committee, bargaining uh, grievances, uh, challenging grievances, lawyers, arbitration fees, et cetera. It's, a, it's an expensive proposition to do that kind of representational work. So there's no argument that there is a charge associated. Uh, and the union does have a duty, which Janice can turn around tomorrow and get fired from his job. Uh, and the union could refuse to represent him, and he would have a perfectly valid suit for money damages against the union for failing in its duty to represent him, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. People Sometimes people think that it just means, like, look, you're, you're going to do the collective bargaining for everyone anyway, so it doesn't matter either way, even though you have less money to do it. But they have to represent him in grievance proceedings. <laughs> they have to manage his pension account, right? Like all of these, his health benefits or whatever, all of those things, like it's a like big free rider issue. Yeah. And, yeah. and Alito even acknowledges this in his opinion. Um, no, so as, as Charles said, this is uh, what, what unions call have been calling a free rider problem. And Alito says – you know, that's right. Um, you know, this may require, you know, some restructuring of how unions function. Um, but on the other hand, um, they've been free riding themselves on 40 plus years of a violation of the First Amendment. Yes. So, so who's to say which is the greater wrong? Well, he, yeah, he, he I, went he, he went and did it right. He said uh, you know, it's less of a free rider problem and more of a I'm being shanghaied on a ride I don't want to be on. Right. Yeah. He called. He said maybe he's really just a hostage, effectively. <laughs> um, like, it's really it's really crazy. I mean, there's a lot like I think the fact I think the fact that he claims that the union's behavior in bargaining uh, does not appreciate the current fiscal crisis in Illinois. That's a quote from the opinion. I think <laughs> I think that. I think to me, that's just proof that he's a fraud entirely and that he only took a government job in order to take down a boo. No, he's a plant. No, he's he, he, is, he is literally the Manchurian candidate for labor. I swear he's, to God. he's been going after a boot for for years. Yeah. Right. There was um, before. So before this, there had been. Um, you know, this case had, had come up to the Supreme Court and, and would have been decided this way if, if Scalia had not been smothered to death by an assassin. Um, <laughs> but before that, uh, there was uh, Harris v. Quinn, which was the home health care um, union case where Alito, somewhat unrelatedly to the, the holding in Harris, had basically invited a challenge to Abood. Yeah, I, I, th I think I've seen Tark or other people uh, online call those the camel's nose under the tent. And uh, in, That's right. in the dissent, uh, I think it's Kagan that gets into how they left themselves a neat little trail of breadcrumbs in dicta or otherwise that they can pick up here when the court is ready to go. And they were, as Adam was pointing out, they were ready to go when that four to four decision came out because of Scalia's death as well. So this has been a long uh, running attack on Abood and they had to completely mischaracterize Abood to get over the hump in a lot of ways. Uh, for me, one of the big ones was that you know, one of the keys to Abood was that having to serve all of the, all of the members was uh, what made the collective bargaining, the nature of the collective bargaining beneficial to everyone. And as we were just talking about, uh, they kind of erased that when they said that it's not a free rider, it's, uh, it's somebody that's being Shanghai. Uh, I, and I think that 
the the union doesn't have a way to punish free riders at all. So they, uh, yeah, the, I mean, they, they sort of pretend that they do right. Alito pretends that they do. He says it in a couple of places. In one place, he says that none of the amicus briefs or the dissent has explained why the duty of fair representation causes public sector unions to incur greater expenses than they would otherwise bear in negotiating agreements. And maybe they don't, but that's not the only thing that they have a DFR on, right? There are all sorts of, they're, like they're, the grievance process ends up becoming more expensive and uncompensated. And he's like, oh, well, you could just put in the collective bargaining agreement that non-members have to pay for that, but the state has to agree to that, right? right? Like now the state has to, all, has to agree to all of these alternate financing arrangements and that's going to vary from state to state. I mean, the governor of Illinois has already said he just doesn't want agency fees entirely. They were originally a plaintiff trying to knock them out until they lost on standing issues. So Illinois certainly isn't going to help the, the union recoup those fees in any way because they want to break the union. Absolutely. Like, like, like it's like, like the, the governor of Illinois is essentially openly saying, I want to kill these agency fees to break the union. And that literally just sort of gets just gets completely elided by how the court, how Alito messes this up. He he slips in a part where he's like granting the raise that they want could have an impact on the budget of the government unit in question as if like that's anything the union's supposed to care about. It's an employment negotiation. They're acting as an employer and the sort of larger budgetary concerns might in like affect their bargaining position. But that's it. Oh, I mean, it distilled to its essence, though, that argument is the union might be successful in raising uh, wages and benefits for this unit. Right. And, right. Um, you know, we, we, what we need to do is make sure that they that the that the government as employer has the power to make, keep these as low as possible. You know, the, the, right. the union might succeed, which very much was Kennedy. Can, one of the things Kennedy asked was, you know, Kennedy was thought he was like a real sort of logic gotcha guy. And right. he's like, so do you admit that if the like if the union loses these agency fees, things will be harder for the union? And he's then the attorney's like, yeah. And he's like, so then doesn't that mean you lose? And he's like, no, of course not. Yeah. That's not the point of this. Like, you can't just sort of say that it's bad for us. Therefore, our wanting it is a First Amendment violation. I mean, it's like one of the th again, Alito sort of reflects this, too. He's like the dissent would accept without any serious independent evaluation that the absence of agency fees would cripple the public sector unions, which is basically just like, you know, Drago in mm -hmm. Rocky Four, right? If he dies, he dies. Yeah. Like, who cares? <laughs> like, they, it's just complete pretense. He knows exactly what he's doing, but because, but because federal, federal public sector unions don't have agency fees, but also can't bargain for wages, and, and like the 28 right to work states or whatever don't have agency fees. He's like, well, that's the answer, yeah. right? Since the other 28 states with diminishing enrollment and less impact than ever haven't completely died, 
then I'm comfortable making this decision, even though I suspect they will probably be weakened substantially. The comparison to the federal unions ticked me off a little bit. Uh, and I think the dissents, uh, the dissent does a good job of unpacking why it's it's disingenuous, but they're different enough in type and they have different uh, types of levers. Uh, it, when it's a federal union, you're working nationwide. You have a it's a different scope and a different lever that you have. It's a force multiplier, essentially. Um, with these state unions, you should uh, allow local control to drive. Uh, being the exclusive agent here and with the exclusive agent with some of these arguments Alito kind of goes oh wow did did you know that exclusive agency makes uh, bargaining power uh, more more powerful for unions so if we take away something like uh, something like agency fees they'll still have the exclusive right to bargain so they'll be okay and none of that ties together or makes sense when you look at how it act, how a union actually operates, not how it's looked at as a bad faith bogeyman. Well, I mean, the, the, the federal union thing, I, I did, I, I never touched federal unions when I, when I did this because they're so different. Right. I mean, uh, among, among other things, uh, as far as I understand, federal union can't charge agency fees, but they're not also bargaining for wages uh, and Benefits, right? I mean, in, in most cases, those are set by civil service and other statutes. They also have yeah. lower expenses too. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, because it's yeah. just a completely different scope of representation. And then, and then he gets into all of the reasons why stare decisis wouldn't apply, and he falls back really hard on the fact that the difference between chargeable and non-chargeable expenses is difficult. <laughs> and, and like one of the things he shows is like a one page summary. You know, it's like, it it's not even, it takes up like a third of a page, which shows what the chargeable expenses are to, to Janice. And he's like, you see, they don't even really explain anything. How do you even challenge this? Right. And the answer is, the state audited it. Yeah. It's not up to Janice himself to make the decision unless you think the state is acting in horribly bad faith and trying to, like, really stick it to the workers here. Someone is auditing the someone is auditing the union's books and trying to split up the chargeable and non-chargeable expenses. He just, like, waves it away. He's like, I don't want to do it. So it's hard. And so who cares? You know, and he like he blames unions for like the pension crisis as if it wasn't the result of decades of underfunding budgetary decisions by the state. You know, he's like, oh, the expense is ballooning. Yeah, of course, it's ballooning. You haven't contributed in four years, <laughs> you know, and so it's like all of these things that just shouldn't have any kind of constitutional dimension. And I was. Also, I was a little taken aback by I, I, I mean, I, I guess this is kind of attributable to how eager was Alito was to to overturn a boot, but at how sort of open the threads are um, regarding all sorts of in some cases kind of preposterous arguments like you can take this to the, an absurd degree. There's you know, it seems obvious that you you that a court would not actually allow a taxpayer to say, no, I'm not paying for this war, but there's nothing in Janice to indicate that. Right. right. They, it's just, they just, they would just fall back on the fact that the courts say no taxpayer standing. Right. Mm -hmm. 
they've they've already written out taxpayer standing but this which sounds a lot like taxpayer standing is really uh absolutely uh binding this is a very compelling first amendment article. though one one silver lining i think oh is my that- god oh my god holy fucking shit did you just have a mouse my, no my mic isn't plugged in like my mic is literally not plugged in i have i put a new pop guard on oh shit i thought you were having your robin moment with a mouse but you're having a robin moment with your mic pop plugged in no it's worse it's worse than a robin moment because you haven't heard me at all no 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 no. that that episode where robin had the mouse the mouse kick made her kick the cable out, and I had to edit around the fact that she just disappeared halfway through. Yeah. So, oh, God. Yeah, that is true, but this is from the very beginning. audio because i have properly plugged in my microphone oh this is so embarrassing i'll just sit with that charles just sit with it all of us just sit here and have a moment of silence for your uh, competence <laughs> oh yeah um so i don't know about you all but um i have started withholding my bar dues in anticipation of them <laughs> being ruled unconstitutional <laughs> yeah yeah look the only they, reason so, i was the only reason I was paying before was to be on this podcast as it's a requirement. <laughs> so now that's right. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they very like the majority goes out of their way to say, no, 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 it doesn't count for that. They don't say why they just say it doesn't, you know, they're just like, no professional agency fees are fine. The, the stuff that the mushroom board charges mushroom sellers is fine. But this is absolutely not fine. This is terrible, and you can't do it. You know, Rich, Rich, Rich Lather does not argue uh, with people on Twitter anymore. It's a, a guns Muslim thing. Um, but I found myself, I found myself in an argument with a moron about my bar dues, and for some reason, they are they are dead set that I keep paying my bar dues. That's right, Janice or no Janice, and they were a Janice mm-hmm. supporter, so. Uh, nobody, nobody wants to stand up for my fucking rights here. <laughs> uh, and I gotta say, the part I when I got to the end, it made me even madder because after doing all of this to just like create and then validate and then constitutionalize this nonsense First Amendment claim, they tack on in Section Seven that it also constitutionally has to be opt in right like the state cannot constitutionally make the people opt out of their agency fees right they now absolutely have to opt into their agency fees that is a constitutional dimension that like they would never apply to any other kind of 
like shrink wrap or click wrap or anything, all these things that everyone knows that nobody actually affirmatively consents to, you know, and so they've just put another roadblock in front of the unions trying to collect this stuff. And it's just super embarrassing. My only other point uh, is uh, Justice Sotomayor. I don't even remember the Sorrell versus IMS health case, but Sotomayor basically apologizes for her vote in that case. <laughs> right. Yeah, she says like, it was used how she doesn't like it. Right. She like voted with the majority. And back when uh, I guess the Kagan dissented back in Sorrel and was like, this case is stupid and everyone is going like the majority is clearly going to use this kind of dumb free speech argument to do things like knock out agency fees. And Sotomayor is just like, yeah, my bad. This is exactly what they did. <laughs> you were and right. it's super, it's really bad that I screwed this up last time. So mea culpa. I, I liked uh, at the, in the dissent how Kagan uh, on the start of decisis issue uh, hit him with a Scalia quote saying that reliance on a square, unabandoned holding uh, of the United States Supreme Court is always justifiable reliance. That was uh, pretty slick of her to do. Right. And well, and specifically because one of the things that Alito tried to do is say, look, six years ago, I started chipping away at Abood and then I chipped away and you right, knew it. And I chipped away further four years ago. And then in Friedrichs, you knew damn well we were going to overrule yeah. it. So any kind of reliance interest you have was illusory because you knew that I was coming for you. And Kagan's like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. No, you're on notice. You were on notice that I'm an ass. Right. Uh, was what he yeah. was saying. Right? You know, you were on notice that I'm a big ass motherfucking asshole who is coming for your union. Team. Right. And yeah. then, I mean, she says, I mean, Kagan got really, Kagan got really chippy in this. She did. I mean, I mean <laughs> one of the other things she says is that like the, the majority like distinguishes Pickering and Pickering was like, was a different public sector employment case where they disciplined an individual teacher for whatever assholey thing he was doing. And he may not have been an asshole, but that's usually how these things go when they're picking on one person. <laughs> well, someone's an asshole. Maybe they were just discriminatory, but they were going after Pickering and they distinguished Pickering. And Kagan is like, this distinction you make with Pickering is not one I think you even believe. And she goes, so I would wager a small fortune that the next time a general rule governing public employee speech comes before us, we will dust off Pickering. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, but that's right. I mean, that's right. I mean, the, the, the as she says, and as any rational person looking at these situations would say, the government is different when the government is your boss. Uh, literal, your literal boss and just acting as your like normal citizen boss. Right. And that it needs to be able to tell you to show up at this time or stop saying that, uh, you know, cause that's bad. Or it needs to have some measure of control over you. And that the government has historically been given some deference. And at the idea that now everything you do in the workplace, <laughs> uh, could be, uh, you know, well, it's, it's actually my first amendment, right. To wear no pants, uh, to the post office, you know, you're exactly right. Um, th th this is only going to go uh, as far as killing unions. In yep. Yep. Like, I think they like to do that. It's a very Bush v. Gore kind of way of approaching precedent. 
They're like, ah, we promise not to. We promise not to expand this. And I just the only other thing I'll say is uh, something that you, uh, Tarek, said on Twitter, I think, uh, or maybe uh, just when we were bullshitting around that even like Eugene Volok, uh, who is like a, you know, hard psychotic, libertarian. <laughs> hardcore libertarian was just like, this is incredibly stupid. Yeah, I think his uh, his amicus brief gets cited in that, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Now Kagan put yeah okay I mean because it's too perfect I mean even yeah. the lunatic libertarian fringe understands uh, that at some point the government <laughs> needs to be able to take money from you and do things you might not one hundred percent agree with yep. with it yep and so that's it it's a it's a unions only rule that sometimes you can't talk um so I think I think that wraps up uh, Janice I think we have to move on uh, to the next. The next terrible opinion, <laughs> uh, and this is Trump versus Hawaii, um, oh, which God. is sort of perfect, right? It was like like you couldn't have a better caption than Trump versus Obama's home state. Uh, right. He's just crowing that he won again. Um, you know, half, 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 half of impact litigation, uh, in my view, is finding the ideal named plaintiff. <laughs> um, I started my career working the case for it was called Shepherd versus Phoenix, um, you know, and it, you got to always have a, a snappy title in Trump versus Hawaii. That's a that's, that's a banger. Yep. And so, as everyone knows, this is about the this is about the travel ban, Muslim ban, uh, whatever you want to call it, the executive order number three, the proclamation, <laughs> whatever it is. He see took seven countries and held them up to exacting scrutiny, extreme vetting, uh, and the disagreement between the majority. And the dissent was whether quiet part loud was justiciable. And, <laughs> and, and Roberts and crew went out of their way to say, no matter how racist Donald Trump is, and we're going to downplay that a lot, no matter how racist he is, as long as his uh, law clerks don't actually write the uh, don't write actual, actual racism. racism into the proclamation, then it has to be read facially uh, and we can't do anything about it. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's, you know, one thing that's notable about the majority's opinion is that they acknowledge Trump's racism. They, mm -hmm. you know, even even in naming the executive orders, they don't use the technical numbers. They say executive order one, two, and three, you know, indicating that these are in fact the same in the series um, in which the first two were um, blocked and then withdrawn. Um, and then Roberts in the majority opinion and Kennedy in his concurrence, um, you know, throw in at various points, um, you know, things about how you know, sometimes the president of the United States does not live up to the ideal of to bigotry, no sanction. Um, so it's not like their heads are in the sand. They just don't care. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. sometimes baby doesn't get his bottle and gets quanky. And <laughs> and so we can't listen to everything he says. <laughs> so, but uh, so the primary way that they do this is by 
how they uh, kind of modify the standard is is one way that that is applied, and then how they differentiate treatment here from other cases is just very different. But the majority goes out of its way to say that this is a better way to go about it. Well, they have. I think they're wrong. Well, you know, you know, um, my my dad was a big <laughs> right wing racist, uh, and you know. He, I was working as a criminal defense lawyer, and he, he would get mad about how, you know, people would get off on technicalities, right? You know, like, in the law is a bunch of technicalities, and we know the guy's guilty, and why don't we just, you know, throw... I've never seen a bigger bunch of technicalities <laughs> exactly. thrown up uh, to excuse the fact that a person ran for office saying, I'm going to make sure these Muslims don't get in the country. Um passed a, uh, uh, an executive order saying, here's your Muslim ban, uh, and kept saying it. Um, and these guys looked up every fucking technicality in a book uh, that they could uh, to forget about all of what was yeah, really going on. they're like, on. number one, they're not citizens, so we don't have to really, like the process that's due them is almost zero. Uh, the executive has this plenary authority, and they even, like Roberts even admits that they can look behind it. Like, he throws it in. He's like, we can look behind it. He goes, well, we're not gonna. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely not going to, but I kind of admit that we could. Uh, he's like, the the executive order, uh, they undertook a study uh, you know, he like he asked his people to do this. Now, I admit that the president said, I want a Muslim ban. Go make it legal. But I don't <laughs> I don't think that means well, I, much. I, I don't put much. I don't put much stock in him running it by the cabinet when his cabinet are the racism all stars. You know, like, right. well, how do you expect it to to end up there? It's, right. I don't remember. Like right off the top of my head, I don't remember if it was. uh if it was uh, Breyer's dissent or Sotomayor's, but one of them was like, yeah, he said he did a, he like had a group do a study, but then just as one example, one of the guys uh, he put on the study is, and then a page of his racist credentials. <laughs> well, they decided to, they decided to, Giuliani made an appearance. I, I did. I somehow an advisor yeah. to the campaign uh, said, uh, the president came to me and said, you know, I want this Muslim ban. Show me how to do it right. legal. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I didn't realize so, that was the Giuliani <laughs> quote. But yeah. No, it yeah. was. It was Giuliani. No, but but Robert cited that. And he's like, yeah. yeah he's like, saying. yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, but we're not going to. But he's, he's like, but look, they made it legal. <laughs> and, and so he looks at things like he's like, oh, they say that. Like they took 90 days to issue this report where they reviewed all of the countries in the world and all of their their secu internal security protocols. So we wouldn't uh, get screwed by like the lack of information. And this is who we concluded are the bad guys. And every 180 days, we're going to revisit the list and whatever. And there are there's a waiver process and like and Breyer's opinion, like there are two dissents. One of the dissents is uh, Breyer and Kagan, who decided to be kind of the moderates. And Breyer and mm -hmm. Kagan's dissent is, look, uh, I'm pretty sure they're lying about all of that. 
because nobody gets a waiver. There is an affidavit in a case currently pending in the Eastern District of New York where one of the consular officers submitted an affidavit saying, I'm not allowed to grant any waivers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And like nobody is coming in on the student and other visas from these countries that are supposed to be examined on a case by case basis. Like they have dropped by like an order of magnitude from what the pace would have been in 2016. So they're clearly not like taking seriously the things that they say they're taking seriously. With the one of the reasons that they say they have to institute the travel ban is because of uh, informational deficiencies in these countries. Right. Yeah. But now with this waiver program, how it works when uh, it is that there are people from these countries that don't have these informational deficiencies because they aren't systemic. Uh, If you're a student or if you're a doctor, there are other ways that you're inputting all of this information that can get to the consulate so that you can be uh, so that you can be vetted or sorry to use that that phrasing so you can get a waiver to get in but now those people that would have never had any of the problems that are supposedly the backbone for this are being kept out and can't get a waiver the the order suggests that they're going to issue uh procedures for these waivers right right? yep that's another as many laws do you know other such rules and regulations will be promulgated uh they didn't do any of it, right? right? There's, mm-hmm. there's not a single pen that's been put to paper on any of these structures to effectuate this thing that Roberts uses to say, well, I'm sure it's been fine. Yeah. Uh, for the good I mean, people. that Breyer uh, says that, too, as part of why it's disingenuous. Like, like Breyer, Breyer and Kagan went straight process. They're like, look, if you were serious about this, then you would actually be make doing any kind of review with any sort of seriousness, but since you're or or create the structures for the review, that's not even that. Right. And so they're like, we're, you're clearly making it up. And then Sotomayor with Ginsburg, (laughs) she's like, she's like, I'm not going to get into a process review. I am going to shame you because you know how stupid this is. Right. You are redoing you are redoing Korematsu, the Japanese internment cases, and you have the goal to to overrule Korematsu while literally redoing Korematsu. Yeah. And the, the, the majority, the majority tried to take the sting out of that by noting that uh, that the dissents uh, brought up Korematsu, but they tried to poison it by saying that uh, the dissents were bringing it up for emotional reasons because it's such a charged, uh, charged uh, topic here. But that was not what she was doing. It, it, it was right on the money. It, it, it wasn't an emotional reach at all. It right. was square. You know, I said, I said, I said, I said this in the Slack, but you know, um, you know, you know, Rich Lather lives for the epic clap. <laughs> um, you know, when when Queen goes off. Um, but in this case, there are some moments in history that are important, and I kind of think this is one of those. And you kind of, I mean, to have that opportunity where. People are so lost in the bullshit, you know, and so full of fucking shit where you've got a raging 
uh, red-faced racist saying, I'm trying to ban all Muslims here, you know, work with me. Uh, and these guys are bending over backwards to say that's not, not, that's not what's happening here. Um, to have the, the opportunity to just tee off on somebody like that, uh, I can't imagine. Um, and she will, be, she will be proven right uh, historically. Um, and that was the only way to go. That procedural argument from, from the others is fine, but um, she absolutely took them into their teeth. And it was a, it was, it was a joy. Yeah. Me, I, um, in a otherwise joyless. Yeah. Me. I got to say, I was a little upset. I mean, I understand why Sotomayor and Ginsburg wouldn't want to sign on to the sort of titchy procedural one. Cause they kind of feel it's beside the point, but I admit I was a little disappointed that Kagan and Breyer did I Kagan and uh, yeah, Kagan and Breyer did not sign on to the Sotomayor dissent which was like incredibly solid. I mean, her point was based like Roberts tried to duck Korematsu in two ways. He goes, number one, number one, that was the, <laughs> the that was the internment of U.S. citizens. Uh, and that's why it was grotesque. And this is not that these are people who want to come into the country and the and the executive has broad authority to exclude them. But. That's super embarrassing for me. And so <laughs> and so as a second point, let me just say that Korematsu is super bad. Super bad. Yeah. It's not good law. You can't intern citizens. And Donald Trump can keep the Muslims out as long as he doesn't write it down. He doesn't have to stop saying it. He can keep on saying it. I am not going to stop him for a second from saying yeah. it over and over again, but he just better not put it in a proclamation where I can read it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the whole opinion. And it, yeah. yeah, good job, Poochie. <laughs> it job. just made me so mad. Like, everything um, about it is just Fake law. It is. It is exactly. And you know when you talk about uh, like masterpiece cake shop, when Kennedy got so mad at people who use like who use religion as a masquerade for their bigotry, this yeah. is like literally using legalisms as a masquerade for bigotry. And Sotomayor drops a masterpiece cake shop. She drops multiple masterpiece cake shop citations yeah. in in her yeah. dissent, noting that um you know the the court earlier in the term found much more less virulent expressions of animus to be dispositive. I got the feeling, I got the feeling that in some sense some of the weird tonal inconsistencies out of the left on masterpiece was sort of setting up for the zing on this yeah. in a weird way, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. like that if you stay like that masterpiece, yes, it's, it's a problem, but we've got this whole other basically, you know, travesty about to happen and, and, and we need to be somewhat internally consistent that these things matter. And, and, you know, speaking of, I, I think, consistency or inconsistency and of Tark's earlier point about sort of the eyes of history being upon the court, um, that was really what I was thinking about when I was reading Kennedy's concurrence, which was baffling. Yeah. It is so bad. So bizarre. Kennedy's, so bizarre. <laughs> Kennedy has been in in some cases, you know, he's been very kind of removed from what we might consider reality. Um, but there are other times where he's demonstrated this sort of 
you know, keen eye on, you know, how history will view him, most notably in his gay marriage jurisprudence. And and Kennedy, in his concurrence, um, looks at one of his gay marriage opinions, Romer v. Evans, which creates what uh, law students are sort of told to call rational basis with teeth. Um, that is, you know, you look at something to see whether there's a plausible connection, but also you can't um, pass a law for no other reason than animus towards a certain group. And and he says, you know, I'm carving out an exception from from my own jurisprudence. You know, I'm, I'm like, yes, it's important that, you know, we don't pass laws because of animus, but. On the other hand, the president's the president. So who's to say who's right? Yeah, I mean, he actually <laughs> he actually tries to argue that on remand, Romer v. Evans may be controlling, but it's not. Re- <laughs> but it's not really no. compelling. And what he ultimately does is say, come on, you're allowed <laughs> to be racist, but please stop. <laughs> and then that's it. And then he retires. I mean, that's it. He's yeah. like, and now Son I'm gone. And so whatever happens, happens. I wash my hands of it. I try to ask him to stop. So it looks like his legacy is going to be uh, on on this last one is going to be as Sotomayor said that uh, you're replacing Korematsu with another gravely wrong case. So yep. they're, at least they're being consistent. Yeah. Well, and and I would I would like to thank uh, the Trump v. Hawaii court for proving my late father right uh, that the law is a bunch of technical bullshit uh, <laughs> designed to let absolutely clearly guilty people. Uh, off the hook for the consequences of the absolutely clearly illegal bullshit that they pulled. Yeah, it's true. Thank you. I I, hey, uh, I have a quick question here. Yeah. Uh, how fast? How fast did you guys all want to uh, scan over the Thomas uh, complaining about <laughs> nationwide injunctions? That is that is what I was about to say. I'm glad you did it first, Mike. As I've written before. <laughs> <laughs> I think the I think the uh, the idea of anybody getting a court to stop anything racist uh, should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thomas. Thomas was just like this was this was pure, uncut, undiluted, like straight from the plant. Uh, Clarence yeah. Thomas, in which everyone is like thinking about the effects of executive power. And whether it's like whether there's a justiciable racism and Thomas is like, I want everyone to back up for a second and ask whether the court in Hawaii should have only banned the executive (laughs) order in Hawaii and whether whether it was too much for them to institute a nationwide ban. Like, why couldn't their remedy have been completely useless? Oh, but it, I, no, actually, I, I take issue with that, with that characterization. I mean, everybody was sort of grappling with a moment, like, can we be racist as a nation? Is that legal? Um, and OK, you know, we have decided five, four. Yes, <laughs> racism is good. Um, and Thomas is like, but we don't go far enough here. The capper uh, ends up being Thomas writing by himself like he couldn't even get anyone like, you know, that he circulated that concurrence. And even Alito was like, oh, fucking come on. (laughs) Come on, Clarence. I'm not even going to read this. Like, I'm just going to you can staple it to the back of the opinion, but I'm not even reading this. You know what, though? You know. 
we laugh now, but just like with Alito uh, banging on, you know, some clearly bedrock legal stuff six years ago, uh, I'm sure Thomas is going to find a way to figure out to make courts unable to stop racism. Oh, yeah, yeah. In 10 years. This is sort of maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but again, this is as good as it's going to get for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and this is not a very good uh, term at all. Nope. Uh, and it's just going to get worse. Nope. You know, but it's a pre- it's sort of a prelude because Kennedy voted with the majority, the 5-4, like every time in 2000. Oh, yeah. In this term, he did it every time. So this term is literally the preview of what's going to happen, but without even needing to moderate a little to sort of capture Kennedy's weird-ass morality. Yeah, there's not going to be any guessing uh, or, uh, you know, court, like a lot of pundits are going to be out of work. Yeah. Uh, you know, suggesting that maybe there's a, a close case here. Um, I think it was like Bobby Bigwill on Twitter said Roberts is, my, um, is the moderate now. Right. Uh, and that's absolutely right. Yep. Everyone is saying that. And Roberts is not going to like Roberts. Roberts sometimes backs off from the uh, like I say, I refer to Kennedy as like looking into the abyss and recoiling. And Roberts does it less often. But he does it once in a while. <laughs> like he did it with he Obamacare. <laughs> he did it with Obamacare. No, there are a couple of others, though. I can't really think of them right now. But, but he, he he's not recoiling in the abyss. He's just knows that he has to. Uh, be sensible every once in a while to maintain a legacy. Right. It's well, a, and he also <laughs> and he also figures out a way to get a poison pill in every time. I mean, the he the does. Obama the Obamacare decision, which all the conservatives hate him for, also like imported some in, like really exacting federalist principles and like made right. the Medicare expansion non mandatory and did all sorts of things that are helpful in other ways. And so the Obamacare decision is going to end up being cited for all that stuff a lot more than it gets cited for is Obamacare legal. <laughs> so so uh he's uh, he's very good at what he does. Um so uh the next case I guess I want to get to is uh Nifla versus Becerra, which I think we will probably not spend nearly as much time on. But Nifla versus Becerra was a case coming out of California where um, where California instituted rules that were basically directed to crisis pregnancy centers, which are nominally healthcare facilities related to pregnancy, but but actually churches. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but actually are designed just to dissuade anyone who potentially wants an abortion from getting one. Like I figure if you are a person who didn't intend to get an abortion at any time, then your ultrasound probably is fine and they and they give you decent enough advice uh but if you even like express any interest in getting an abortion the everything sh- all they're going to do is try to convince you not to get one and so there were two separate statutes the first one said that if you do provide medical services then you have to let them know that this state of california gives 
uh, low and free, uh, low cost and free services up to and including abortion. Um, and for no- unlicensed facilities, which did not have any medical uh, personnel, they were like, uh, you got to tell them that you don't have any doctors here. <laughs> right. And so the court said neither of these were OK. Well, I, does anybody I mean, Mike's in California, maybe maybe you know this better. I mean, are, is because I couldn't quite understand if we were talking about a subset of pregnancy women's health providers uh, that um, were run for the purposes of stopping someone who might get an abortion from getting an abortion. But you kind of go to the Jesus van and you know what you're going to get. Right. Or or were you showing up at the Jesus van thinking abortion was on the table uh, and you were being um, um, tricked, right? Like, yeah. There was a certain I, sort of factual underpinning that was not apparent from any of what I read uh, that I was missing. Yeah, I looked uh, back into some of the uh, uh, the legislative history behind it, and yes, there were some instances of people that went to a crisis uh, pregnancy center that were that thought that the name was what it uh, what it said. They were in crisis and they were pregnant, and that should be the center that helps them. But they weren't actually <laughs> getting help them uh, getting help there. Uh, one of the more infamous examples is uh, a person who a lady who showed up that was pregnant uh, was starting to talk about her options, but she kept getting sent home because they kept telling her that she was sick, and they were just kind of trying to run out the clock more to toward toward the <laughs> date toward it Jesus being too Christ. too late for things to happen. So yes, there uh, misinformation. Information was a problem, and the purpose of uh, of the the laws to inform people about rights and services, and specifically around crisis pregnancy centers. And they had a licensing scheme for license or for crisis uh, pregnancy centers for the ones that were more on the up and up. But there were other unlicensed ones that were still out there uh, that do, that try to talk people out of abortion and do all kinds of other activities as yeah, well. I mean, so yeah, there was, there was a problem. That, I mean, I've was, seen ads, is. I've seen ads for crisis pregnancy centers on the subway and they're like, yeah. they, they just speak very generally about like, they, like they, they seem like their, their religious iconography is subtle, you know, and they don't expressly sort of connect themselves to any of that. And they just imply that they're a health center for pregnant women without Mm -hmm. sort of laying out the things that they won't do, like just sort of giving the impression that they will do what any other health center would do. And so the people who show up only to be told, you know, we don't do that. And like, well, you've just showed up at a timeshare meeting, (laughs) (laughs) Right, like where you can't like you can leave, but like you you're like forced into this conversation, which isn't what you showed up for. Um, They're 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 also yeah, they're they're also, I think, pretty clearly targeting people for whom English is not their first language. Um, And and that's why the California notice requirement required that that the the license be put in 13 languages. Um, You know, these are. Um, you know, centers that are sort of thriving in the space um, where someone, um, you know, when 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 we hear crisis pregnancy center, we think, okay, someone's going to yell at you about abortion. But, um, you know, someone 
who doesn't know that as a term of art is because English isn't their, isn't their first language is going to be much more likely to view that as what they think might be an actual resource. I mean, that's exactly right. I like, I didn't, I didn't love all of the, all of the language in it, but I guess to me, to me, the problem with the, with Thomas's and Thomas got to write the majority here. So he didn't like go completely off the reservation, but to me, the big problem, and this was the dissent's big problem is while I thought that the, that the language that California required these crisis pregnancies to say was a bit overbearing and it is definitely weird to make a quasi church tell women where they can go, that they can get a cheap or free abortion from the state of California. <laughs> right. I'll, like, like I'll grant you that that's really bad. The problem is that Planned Parenthood v. Casey and all of the cases like it, the court said it's just fine to require abortion clinics to tell the women coming in about the option of adoption. And all right. like if an if someone providing abortion services has to tell the people coming in, you know, you don't have to do this. The state of Kansas is making me tell you you can put you can carry this baby to term and get an adoption. It doesn't make any sense that a person who essentially is in the business of arguing people out of getting abortions doesn't like the state can't tell them to say, though, it's perfectly legal and you can get them here in California. Right. It's just picking a side on free speech grounds in a way that is not supportable, especially when Thomas is like, well, abortion is a medical procedure and not abortion is not a medical procedure. <laughs> and, and yeah, and and Casey, which is another Kennedy opinion, um, upheld, among other things, an informed consent law in Pennsylvania, um, you know, saying, you know, if if that that, you know, women who are trying to get abortions, um, you know, were required to have the doctor um give them this spiel and, and it's been expanded in a lot of states to where the doctor has to now give them these sort of phony warnings, um, you know, saying like, Oh, did you know that abortion can, you know, give you depression and cancer? Yeah. Um, but, but, but Kennedy writes a concurrence here that is in a lot of ways, even sharper than Thomas's majority opinion. Um, he, so Kennedy's concurrence, he compares, California's licensing scheme to um, a number of totalitarian regimes. Yeah. I'm saying. I don't know how he gets there, but he says that viewpoint discrimination is inherent in prov- just providing information. That's yeah, well, so he, well, it's the same thing as Masterpiece Cake Shop, right? He's like, you're targeting crisis pregnancy centers because they're Christian and not uh, because they sort of trick people who want abortions into showing up, um, you know, like. But but <clears throat> but we're not targeting Muslims in the other. No, thing, no, it's like another yeah. one. Right. He just keeps where we said we were targeting Muslims that we're not actually doing it there. Yep. I mean, he just uh, <laughs> so so. Two things. Uh, one, Casey exp- expressly overruled two cases 
where they found that the informed consent laws were kind of overbearing, right? So cases like actually there is some element of informed consent, which is fine, but not both ways. And, you know, uh, oh God, now I lost the other, the other thing that I was going to say. Oh, there are two provisions, right? So even if you think it's a bit much that you force a, a non-abortion provider on religious grounds. Like it may be a bit much to say to them, you have to say where you can go somewhere else for an abortion. I'll even, I'll even concede that that one's not terrible were it not for the unequal treatment under Planned Parenthood v. Casey. The second part of the provision where the unlicensed facilities were really just basically fraud centers, where where they clearly sort of in their advertising imply that they're medical facilities and then there really aren't medical personnel. That part of the law should have been a slam dunk, right? Like the uncovered facilities have to say this facility is not licensed as a medical facility by the state of California and has no licensed medical provider who provides or directly supervises the provision of services. That seems pretty fair, right? Yeah. That seems that pretty fair. That was one fair. of the purposes of the law. And then they're just like, also no. <laughs> and but this gets back to the this gets back to the question I was asking up front, which is, you know, I work in the financial services sector. We sell some consumer financial products. You know, you, you're not supposed to be defrauding consumers. Right. right. You're supposed to know what you're going in and getting. And if 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 you're allowed to dress your Jesus van up uh, as a full service, you know, medical clinic, and you're not willing to put uh, the full range of services that are available. I mean, they're absolutely scamming people. Yep. And yeah. this is putting uh, uh, the Supreme Court stamp of approval on a consumer scam, uh, leaving aside all of the other sort of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, one of the things that got me was constitutional issue. Right. One of the things that got me is Thomas says that California points to nothing, suggesting that pregnant women do not already know that covered facilities are staffed by unlicensed, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that drove me crazy because I'm like, how does California not have findings in the legislative record? Right. Like that's just bonkers to me. And so I don't know what's going on there because there's no indication in the dissent that there were these findings, really, which I think is why Tarek was a little sort of confused because there really is not that record, though I'm shocked that there isn't the record. And the only thing that makes me feel a little better about it is that the procedural posture of this case is that it was a review of an injunction. And so and so it's going to get kicked back to the district court and hopefully California will actually introduce findings to save the second part of the statute. I don't know if the Supreme Court will acknowledge them when they do, but at least that second part will still have some vitality if they can prove that it is uh, fraud. But but I don't even know, because they said even if California had presented a non-hypothetical justice, it still burdens speech, which is bonkers. Like, it's just a consumer yeah. protection law. 
You know, yeah. <laughs> that, that part of the of Thomas's finding that was burdensome tracks back to what Adam was saying about uh, having to publish in so many uh, in, in so many languages. Uh, he found that to be burdensome, particularly for unlicensed um, right. Uh, operators. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, it is. we got to make it easy and, and cost effective for them to defraud people better. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just something that like he talks about that, like the billboards got to have like 13 languages drowning out the message. And that's just that's just not constitutionally important. He and he goes into a word count. He says he says, look, if you count up all the different languages it has to be in, there are, you know, over 30 words which drown out the two words choose life. Right. Yeah, it's 30 times 13. And never mind. Never mind how big the words might be or what typeface or the fact that this notice is probably just like, Uh, you know, a white piece of paper with small print slapped on the window. I mean, they say actually that it was had to be very detailed. But the response to from the the response from the dissent on that is a procedural one. They're like, that is a that is a sort of archetypal as applied challenge, right? You can complain that your billboard is impractical because this law is too stupid, but that is not the kind of factual discussion you should be having in a facial challenge to the law on an injunction case. And so like all of that was, should have just been dicta and outside the record, but it wasn't because they didn't want it to be. You know, so, so so I'm not I'm not Adam. Um, I used to be. I used to have hair and uh, principles. <laughs> um, you know, and that's right. And Screw you know, like I'm not an idealist at all. But uh, this was the one that broke me uh, because of the central hypocrisy that you, after reading the first two and then this one, like the very notion that you can force uh, an abortion provider to 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 scream, uh, please stop. Uh, consider some other alternative um and that's fine and this somehow is not uh even though there are significant and legitimate consumer protection angles here as well uh to me uh exposes all of this uh as nothing more than a complete exercise in politics uh and bullshit uh throwing of words up to just justify uh result oriented um, political yep. results, right? So, uh, I thought I was beyond the cap- beyond the point in my life and career where I could be stunned by anything, but I am completely shell shocked uh, by this. Yeah. So one one of the other themes throughout the cases tonight is, is that we end up in kind of a worse place than than where we started. Not just because you're you're rooting for a particular outcome, but in that it's a mess to comply with all of uh, with all of these. You have to undo all of the union contracts. Uh, now you have every disclosure law is a content based re- restriction. If I don't agree with one hundred percent of what the states are making me read, there, you know how how does that become worse? You can uh, you can turn the holding in uh, uh, in Bursera, uh into whatever you want it to be for as far as content based uh, yeah. restrictions now. So it's it just it's making a mess in the by weaponizing First Amendment yeah. here and pursuing ideological yeah. issues, which is like the key to which is the key to Kagan's dissent in uh, 
Nikita Kagan's descent in Janus was, you know, just like the absolute weaponizing of the First Amendment from Masterpiece Cake Shop to here to just get policy ends by cramming it into a First Amendment framework. Um, I will say the thing that broke me that I've never felt closer. <laughs> I've never felt closer to being a libertarian than when I saw that the statute uh, that had this law was section 123,471 of the California Code. I was like, I was like, are you serious with that number? Section 123,471 of the California Code. I uh, that's and that's just the California Health and Safety Code. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's it. I'm done. They can they <laughs> I'm I'm convinced now of every libertarian argument. <laughs> it was no, but uh, <laughs> I, I got when I got into this, you know, I thought you had to figure out clever ways to kind of push the envelope uh uh and make arguments that were tricky and clever and pulled, you know, but this is just completely we don't have to justify why this is different from that anymore. No, yeah. um, this is different from that because there's five of us and four of you. Right. Uh, yeah. It's it's and again, it's just getting worse. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day, like about Kennedy, and you know, she she is a conservative, a friend of mine who's conservative, and she's like, I always was under the impression because she's not an attorney. I was always under the impression that Kennedy's a liberal, and I said, Yeah, yeah, you think that because all of your friends uh, have moved so far to the right that Kennedy sort of seems like a liberal because he doesn't vote with you every time, like. Every like there's a there's a large contingent of conservatives who now think that Roberts is a centrist squish because of his vote in the Obamacare case. But by no standard is he a liberal. It's just they <laughs> refuse to accept that the the alternative outcome in the Obamacare case was the really radical one. Like there was no basis in law to knock out Obamacare. Exactly. And, and you know, she was like, well, what about the thing where Obama said it's not a tax, but then the ruling was that the mandate, the individual mandate was fine because it is a tax. And I said, well, that's because the court doesn't care when you lie to the public. They don't give a shit what you call it. They look See Trump v. Hawaii. Right, right. Like, no, no, no. They're like, it is, it is what it is. It's structured like a tax. If you don't do X, you pay Y. That's a tax. Call it whatever the fuck you want. It remains right. a tax, and that's within the taxing authority of the federal government, you know? And so it's like there are other instances in which you can oppose it, right? You can be really mad at Obama for lying. You know, George Bush stood up at a debate and he said, read my lips, no new taxes. And then he spent four years calling all of his tax increases fees mm. so that he could stand by his <laughs> pledge. And the Republicans saw through it and they abandoned him. Right. That's what happened here. He Obama said it's not a tax. And Roberts was like, oh, shut up, stupid. 
it's a tax and that's what's going to save your bacon here is that we all know that you knew it was a tax all along and you said so in your briefs. And of course, of course, you were bullshitting on the campaign trail, but campaign trail bullshit is not a constitutional concern. I wanted to do just a a shout out to uh, I saw that in the travel ban case that uh, when the, the people that went and actually found what the internal review was of the of one of the um, of the proclamation of the orders. Yeah. Of the proclamation was uh, was the Brennan Center and they're kind of friends of uh, uh, of the pod here and wanted to shout them out for doing. Oh, that's right. There. Yeah. A- yeah. The Brennan Center. Uh, our friend Ames uh, works at the Brennan Center. The Brennan Center's FOIA request turned up the uh, the memo in support of the proclamation supporting the selection of the seven countries and found that it was 17 pages long. The exacting right. the exacting review of the uh, the exacting review of the entire world to determine seven countries uh, subject to the executive order was 17 pages. And Roberts got pissy about that, too, by the way. He's like, well, the report is 17 pages, but Roberts, <laughs> but I have to make clear that the data supporting the report is not foyable and it's probably a lot more. And so he <laughs> and so he just dismissed the fact that this half assed read the book yesterday book report uh, in support of a sweeping change in federal immigration policy uh, was on the back of a napkin. He's like, there's more than a napkin. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Roberts, Roberts was also very, very impressed with the administration uh, taking Chad off of the list. Right. That really meant a lot to him. Yep. Chad came into compliance, and uh, so he took Chad off, and that proves that they're very the Chad. Chad, so it was the first time this administration has ever opposed anyone named Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna show my uh, relative age on this panel here, but with regard to Kennedy, um, you know, one thing that I I think it, it, he's gonna leave with me is. For exactly three years, it was very fashionable to include in your wedding vows or in your wedding program a selection from Oberfell. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't think that's quite as fashionable anymore. Right. In my in my for my generation, that would be your second wedding. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I don't think people are going to want to have Justice Kennedy's name at the bottom of their thing. Um, is that it? I'm going to show my I'm going to show my age uh, and just say um, also. And since the average age of this podcast is about 80, um, <laughs> I think I'll be in good company. Like I was I was like 10 years old when Reagan came marching in and oh, he was like a complete idiot who was going to lead us into nuclear war. And that seemed really bad. And. I lived through 9-11 and George Bush and the, the expansion of the security state, and that was fucking awful. Uh, this one seems just as bad or worse um, than the rest of them, but I don't know. 
Uh, it's very hard for me to find uh, any youthful exuberance uh, or hope for the future. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, my cynicism is misplaced. But this is—I'm strapping in for some for some fun. Yeah, times. needless to say, I've invested heavily in gold and survival seeds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my bedroom, surrounded by some of my best smothering pillows. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready to move on to the last part? <laughs> so, so, so for our last thing, we are going to go from the Supreme Court of the United States, which is the uh, the highest court in the land, the the apex of uh, jurisprudence, to uh, Canada, which is pretend. Uh, it is entirely pretend, and none of it really exists. Uh, That's like Midwest, but worse. Yep. And so this, uh, (laughs) and so, and so this is, and so we're going to be talking about uh, the lawsuits by Lindsay Shepard and Jordan Peterson against Wilfrid Laurier University uh, in Ontario. Uh, And they're just, they're embarrassing and dumb and, I just want to point out that I still haven't read the Jordan Peterson complaint because Canada doesn't have digital filing. Like they no, don't. No, 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 Charles, Ontario. Oh, Ontario. The province of Ontario. The province of it. I can't. I can't blame the whole country. The province of no, Ontario. I'm sure none of it has a incredible. Uh, uh, Pacer-like system yeah. where you can pull anything. Yeah, but so we couldn't. So I was able to get. I was able to get Lindsay Shepard's complaint because someone put it up on Scribed. I was not able uh, to find the Jordan Peterson one, but he did us the favor of uh, literally reading it to us in a video, uh, including all on, the prefatory on, clauses. Ontario <laughs> Superior Court of Justice between Lindsay Shepard. That's the plaintiff, who's uh, a student at the school. And uh, Nathan Rambukana, I think is how it's pronounced. Adria Joel, (laughs) Herbert (laughs) Hamlot, and Wilfrid Laurier University, the defendants. This is a statement of claim. To the defendant, a legal proceeding has been commenced against you. By the plaintiff. <laughs> the claim is, okay, I'm not going to, but that's sort of what his video is like, just reading like everything no, 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 but, in the but, complaint. But wait, 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 because, because, because that's material. Like, <laughs> that is material to me. Like, this guy has been hailed as one of the most significant public intellectuals uh, to come down the pike in quite some time by august publications uh, and ostensibly intelligent people. Um and he is so stupid that when 
getting online uh, and posting a video about his, you know, impactful, significant lawsuit against Wilfred Laurier and the SJWs uh, ensconced there, uh, spends 10 minutes reading verbatim the prefatory jurisdictional clauses that establish that he's a natural person who resides in Waterloo, Ontario. <laughs> right. and, you can't and just skip upon, over that part. <laughs> and upon seeing his name in the case caption, cannot resist saying, that's me. That's me. <laughs> I, and I got to tell you what it reminded me of more than anything. And let me say, I did stand up for a while. And one of my first jokes ever was about my mom calling for computer help. And whenever she would do that, when she would describe what was on screen, <laughs> she would basically start by reading the banner ads at the top of the page. <laughs> and, and, and thinking back to my mom asking if she should punch the monkey, uh, just well, that's Jordan Peterson reading his complaint in the Ontario <laughs> Superior Court of Justice. My address is. <laughs> um, so wait, does someone want to give the facts on this case? Uh, like, I'll, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try, but can somebody can somebody help me? Yeah. Um, before before yeah. we do this, I just want to point out that the mascot of Wilfrid Laurier University is a golden hawk. We are all the golden hawk, the most noble of all hawks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Famed for its eyesight (laughs) and long view uh, on matters, uh, unlike Wilfred Laurier itself. Um, So uh, actually, again, with all with all good, stupid cases, there's a there's a germ of actual shit here that was probably not the best thing to do. Yes. Right? Um, Lindsay Shepard, who I think we've all agreed uh, in the Slack, uh, is is a snack. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, off the record. Off the record. <laughs> I'll edit this out. Don't worry. I'm not gonna. I don't think I agree um, to that. Uh, is, was a student lecturer, a grad she student was a, lecturer. She was a master student and a TA. A master student and a lecturer at, at TA at, at Wilfrid Laurier. Um, and I believe in SJW. Um, I, I I think she. I don't. I buy think that. she's. I don't I believe that for one. Well, minute. we'll get to that in a minute. But yes, but okay. she asserts that she was her. Uh, let her political viewpoint. Uh, I don't think she showed uh, some video clips to a class, and uh, among those video clips was a clip of Jordan Peterson in an effort to start a conversation about trans issues. I believe. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, it was it was a communications class, and the um, the debate was the debate about C sixteen, which is the Canadian law. No, it, on, it wasn't even there yet, though. It was just a class about grammar, right? She was just talking about grammar, and she showed Jordan Peterson debating someone on some Canadian talk show. Where they where they talked about the 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 there was some law or ruling about using a trans person's preferred pronoun. That's this is how Jordan Peterson burst on the scene. Right. And so it was, was she objecting just, to this law. Right. So she just showed a clip of this TV debate 
to the class in the context of exploring the history of pronoun usage in various languages, which seems like an insanely appropriate thing to do. Right. That's <laughs> well, what's and so- Let me just say, I, no, nobody's as online as I am, but I'm assuming uh, in this clip, Jordan Peterson was actually dressed but like a 70s pimp. <laughs> <laughs> like he had a hat with a big feather and like 17 lapels on his jacket. Um, this guy has the worst suits, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but it, like, it seems like, uh, it seems like exactly, not exactly, I don't know that I'd have chosen it because the debate was probably really stupid because every time Jordan Peterson speaks, it's vaguely stupid, but at least superficially, it's on point. Right. If you want to talk about the history of the evolution of pronouns and two people are on TV talking about whether uh, contemporary use fits into that. I don't know. It seems to fit within the broad range of academic freedom that it, that a grad student can show to her class. Uh, but I guess it got back to her advisor who went completely ape shit on her. And so the yes. advisor and a department head and the person from the diversity committee like invited her into a meeting and screamed at her for over an hour that she was a transphobe and had violated vi various Canadian human rights laws by showing the, the, the clip. The, it was akin to akin to showing clips of Hitler because um, Jordan Peterson is basically an alt-right Hitler. Uh, and so uh, so she's suing for emotional distress and for all kinds of violations of Canadian uh, human rights. It's a little unclear. They don't write out the statutory claims the way we do in, like, American complaints. In good American yeah, courts. Yeah, like we like write like normal Canadian people and the courts. Canadians yes. just like write and then they just expect you to figure out what they're talking about from context. But uh, it's unclear like what claims they're making because that's not no, how you write it's, a complaint. It's, it's actually, they put it in the front. It's harassment, intentional infliction of nervous shock, yes. uh, negligence, constructive dismissal. And then uh, a whole bunch of money because you were asshole. Right. But then, but then they don't really outline what the statutory requirements for any of those things are. No, not at all. <laughs> um, so um, they don't make the legal claims. They just say, this is what I'm suing for. And this is the background to it. What say you, Wilfred Laurier? Um, <laughs> but one thing that Lindsay Shepard did when she was called into the meeting is she recorded right. it. <laughs> she recorded the whole thing, which, by the way, oh, she didn't just do that. And, and, and what and else did she do? She then it. posted it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, but so so this is this is one of the things that's sort of baffling to to me, at least with, you know, the American interpretation of libel law, um, you know, putting aside the First Amendment differences, one of the key elements of, you know, anything slanderous or libelous or, or of defamation generally is is that, um, you know, a third party hear it and and that the fact that that third party hears this, um, you know, causes some reputational damage. 
It's a um, publication but, requirement. Right. right. So it's the publication of it. But in this case, it's Shepard herself who is publishing his the, co-plaintiff. Yeah. 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 I would be adding her as a defendant if I were Wilfrid Laurier University. <laughs> well, but this gets into like one, one of the things to me that is insane, right? Shepard's lawyer is Peterson's lawyer. Right. And Shepard, in fact, if you were interested in vindicating Peterson's rights, is the publisher of this stuff. Right. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, He's cl- it's Canada. It's a crude and you know un- unsophisticated country, as we all know. Um, they might not have rules like we do about we try to conflicts of interest. We try to, we try to, to have me, a Canadian on the podcast to defend yeah, them, but he, he didn't declined. Show he declined. Yeah, Doug Exeter, uh, yeah. you're getting everything you deserve right now. It would seem to me that a sophisticated country would have a rule that you really can't represent both of these people because. You're failing to point your gun yeah. on behalf of Peterson. I mean, yeah. A critically important defense. I mean, look, Wilfred, if if Canada has rules and they allow impleader, Wilfred Laurier would clearly implead Lindsay Shepard as a defendant for publishing the statements. And if they did so, it would create an irreconcilable conflict for Jordan Peterson's attorney because uh, because now his attorney is defending a different defendant. And so, I mean, I mean, one of the things this came up earlier is that Lindsay Shepard says that uh, they like they yelled at her in this meeting, even though Shepard had chosen no side and up to that point disagreed with what she understood to be Peterson's perspective. And that is clearly a lie. Like there, I mean, she may not have felt particularly strongly either way, but when she brought the recording to this meeting, she clearly knew exactly what she was doing. And it certainly shouldn't have changed her opinion on the use of trans pronouns either way. Well, but Angela Nagel has already established conclusively that when you um, criticize someone for doing something, uh, it's not SJWE. You make them into an alt-right weirdo. <laughs> uh, and here we have uh, conclusive proof of the Nagel theorem. Uh, Lindsay Shepard was an SJW the day she showed this clip, uh, and now she is a Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like, like Charles said before, uh, we don't have the statement of uh, Jordan Peterson's statement of claim, but online there were some people that had either heard him or, or had seen it. And uh, the way that he deals with this in his claim that I think that we're going to get into more later is that he says it's foreseeable for the Wilford Laurier folks to know if they talk to their TA in a meeting uh, about Jordan Peterson and, and they say things about him that could injure, injure him, that it would get out of that meeting somehow. So they kind of say it would be inevitable uh, yeah. that it would get out. <laughs> Yeah. So sort of fast forwarding. Um, so Shepard files her claim against Wilfred Laurier. Um, then uh, Shepard goes on a little bit of a speaking tour, um, speaking to, you know, the rational, skeptical Peterson, not quite alt-right, but actually alt-right community. The racism um, community. Yeah, the racism community, the organized racism community. Um, and. Some months later, Peterson decides that 
you know, since this YouTube video, this recording that Lindsay Shepard has taken has 500,000 views, um, Peterson has a claim against Wilfred Laurier for the things said in the meeting about him. Um, so he sues and his his complaint is is mirrors almost exactly Shepard's complaint. It, it just, you know, finds and replaces some parties um, and he even has the same attorney. So he keeps the same. Yeah, the except same. that Lindsay Shepard has a claim. Like the thing, the thing about Lindsay Shepard is they screamed at her in this meeting, accused her of breaking the law. They, they took away her, like they, one of the things that the, that the, that the claim does over and over is it says that Nathan Rambacana was a really shitty advisor. Like they're like, they're like, he, he barely ever met with me. He never reviewed my notes or my syllabus. And then after this meeting, he like took, he said that he had to review every class thing in advance and he wouldn't let me show any more videos. And after the semester was over, they assigned me to a professor who had gone on the record saying that I was a horrible person who was trying to damage the university and they made me work for her. They they like Rambukan told everyone that the meeting was in response to a student complaint. But then later, the university admitted that no one had ever actually complained. And so it was like all gratuitous. Like Rambukan basically made up a complaint just so he could yell at his T.A. about being a transphobe and Peterson supporter. The the university president responded badly. It took them forever to admit that everything they did was wrong and apologize. And which it was. Which it was and which they did very late. And then they just like there's someone there's a student at the school who she refers to as Ethan Jackson, a transgender activist and who she certainly portrays in her complaint as a litigious loon, like filed a complaint against her on what seems very flimsy grounds. And they put her through the ringer on his complaint even though they had really done nothing at all to follow up on her complaint against the professors and the the diversity committee person who had like tortured her for the better part of a semester. So I don't like I don't know enough <laughs> to know how any of this fits into Canadian law, but this isn't going in the Wilfrid Laurier brochure. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, again, look, I, I, you know, we talk about this a fair amount. Um, I sort of believe that most of your uh, Anglosphere jurisdictions uh, legal system is built around who's the asshole here. Um, Wilfred Laurier is the asshole with respect to Lindsay Shepard and an asshole in Jordan Peterson is going to be able to ride in uh, and cash in. All no, I don't think right. so, though. I don't think Jordan. Well, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna win. Oh, you mean outside of the context of no, the suit? No, but he just yes. gets to. He just gets to put on a stupid suit uh, <laughs> and go around and talk about how uh, the academy is lined up against him, which it should be, right? <laughs> because he is a person number one who has written two works uh, of any substance in his twenty thirty year career. 
one of which is a diagram of how women are like dragons. Um, and the other one is a thing that says clean your room. Right? <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, uh, a Jungian archetypist, uh, you know, the most discredited sort of psychologist you could be. Um, he's a complete quack and weirdo. And, you know, he should be uh, discriminated against <laughs> uh, in an academic context, even if he wasn't also uh, the author of an idea to build a database uh, in which you put any professor who, po- who posits any arguably Marxist ideas uh, in the database in order to drive them out of the academy. All right. 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 Like, this is not a champion of free speech. This is not a serious intellectual uh, by any metric. Um, and once again, uh, by shrieking at some weird grad student, uh, you've given this guy uh, a significant amount of oxygen uh, up to and including uh, this discussion right here. Right. So when he's asked about the contradiction of being a free speech advocate and then suing for uh, for defamation, he kind of uh, hamstring or he he cuts himself off of the knees and says that and kind of admits that this case isn't very solid. He says that he believes that he has a strategy of combining these two cases together to teach a lesson to people who would say things that he believes are not true about him. Right. I'd like to argue with him about quite a few of those allegations because they seem true to me uh, about <laughs> <Yeah>. him. But, <laughs> but yeah, so he's well, already yeah, cut- other things they said. They said this is not a serious academic. I mean, that's the right. ultimate charge to level against this guy. If you have read his initial book, it is gibberish. Yeah. It is Joseph, warmed over Joseph Campbell, Jungian archetype uh, with drawings of literal dragons. Uh, all yeah. Over. yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, but it's funny to get to what he actually like, uh, like, and we know Shepard recorded it. So every mean thing that they said about him is in there. And a lot of it is classic opinion. And right. in a state with normal First Amendment law like ours, uh, would be dismissed. But like there were a couple of things in there which, if they weren't true, seem more serious. Like they said, I oh God, now I'm forgetting because it was just because it was recorded and it's not written in front of me. But they made a couple of things which sounded like factual claims, you know, that he tried to get certain people fired. He's targeted trans right, he's people. He's targeted trans right. people. He has tried to get certain people fired. He is, you know, like they made affirmative claims about his behavior as opposed to his personality, which were it not for the fact that it took place in a private conversation and wasn't sort of for public <laughs> consumption. Uh, like, th- like if if they said those things in a way other than in a heated disciplinary meeting with one person, <laughs> like recording the whole thing, those may actually be the basis for some kind of claim. But almost all of it was they said I was stupid stupid and i'm not dumb like they say i'm smart right (laughs) peterson peterson takes a lot of umbrage at at the invocation of hitler yeah um you know he reading his complaint says he he, you know he goes through he says fact adolf hitler was one of the greatest despots of the 20th century i am a professor (laughs) Uh, and 
but but it's it's not the Hitler comparison that might get Wilfred Laurier in trouble, right? No one actually thinks that this is a factual statement that Jordan Peterson is, you know, going to assume the head of the German state in the ni- in the 1930s. What what I think might get them in a little bit of trouble is that there there are things that it seems that they said there were claims about about Peterson that were actually things that Milo Yiannopoulos did. Right. Um, I, yeah. I, I think there were a couple instances where, where they had said that um, they'd claimed that Peterson had put up um, information like doxing information about people, which is which is something that, that I, I, I think is, is actually a claim about Yiannopoulos. Um, and then right. they would later go on to compare Peterson to Yiannopoulos. So that that sort of potential mixing up of of their um sort of methods of operation um might be what would get them in more trouble again if it were not in an executive session of a disciplinary meeting right well but they again they were they were a bunch of um you know snooty academics that were you know parachuting in to shriek at some ta uh, and just figured they'd pile on as much nonsense as they could uh, and not thinking that this woman was wearing like a giant mic and a flower right. on her lapel, right? <laughs> Say that again, into the flower. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, you just hand right. this guy again, like some, some grist for his uh, 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 mill of persecution, when in fact, if you trace his literal career back, uh, one of his most concrete proposals is a database for maybe Marx's professors where we out them and expose them. Yep. It's not great. He's, uh, he's, he's the literal worst and he's also Canadian, <laughs> which makes him doubly the worst. So it, it's also that he, uh, it, it's weird when the, when, when the border gets crossed to when uh, tactics that were, here to four, uh, an alt-right person or alt-right adjacent person would be like, oh, the plaintiff's bar, defamation suits, trying to uh, go after people in this way is the most beta thing that you can do. And uh, But when it's done because of the right reasons, it's transmuted to alpha. <laughs> well, and again, you know, and again, it's, it's, it's laying bare the notion that I think all of what we've talked about is teaching us that this isn't a battle of ideas as much as Dave Rubin or anybody else wants to call it. That. This <laughs> is, this is an actual battle. Um, yeah. We're just here to fight out who's going to win. Uh, the shitheads are us uh, and the, the shitheads are doing pretty good. Yeah. I mean, one of the funniest things is that every time Jordan Peterson tries to act like an alpha, he's undermined by, uh, first of all, his voice, and second of all, by the fact that he just gets things like hilariously wrong. I mean, the like the <laughs> the the book review. You know, like one of the the part of his book review, like the person just makes fun of his book and his kind of, you know, he always talks about his, uh, you know, uh, indigenous friend. You know, and he like I was admitted in, I was inducted, inducted into, into the tribe, inducted into the yeah. tribe, and we're very close, and it's super meaningful. And the person uh, reviewing the book basically says that the whole thing is incredibly patronizing in a, in a bunch of different ways, and says that he is quote romancing the noble savage. 
And genius PhD Russell Peter, uh, not Russell. Russell Peters is a comedian. Uh, Jordan Peterson. I'll edit it out. Uh, Jordan Jordan Peterson <laughs> jumps in. Genius Jordan Peterson jumps in and he goes, "Are you accusing me of fucking my friend? Because that's horrible. <laughs> you first of all, first of all, don't call him. First of all, don't call him a savage." Second of all, it is not a romantic relationship. And everyone read that and was like, wait a second. Wait a second. No, 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 no. You don't actually know what noble savage yeah, Right. No, no, no. I'm not calling him a noble savage. I am saying you are depicting him, Mr. Archetype, as the <laughs> archetype of the noble savage in your condescending, patronizing book and romancing is uh not romancing but it's kind of like am i crazy right it's a britishism for romanticizing you know we had that movie romancing the stone i never thought it was about somebody trying to have sex with an emerald (laughs) did you see the movie (laughs) you're wrong Um, so yeah so he like completely blows i just i then i i want if he were here i would slap him in the face I would slap him happily. I would slap him happily. Um, so in my, so if he were of, here in my room, I am. Speaking I am, of romancing, I am five the, uh, foot ten rom- and one hundred and fourteen pounds, and I would slap him happily. <laughs> uh, the the that video that we saw where he's describing uh, how he met and uh, eventually married his wife was oh, oh my god no oh my god it scared me I'm still frightened yeah well describe it Mike don't, no one else has seen it we're not talking among friends this is a podcast oh. <laughs> so the story goes that uh, he was when he was. She was, was a year. 13. They were teens, yeah, she, and, and she were, was a year. Uh, she was a year older than him, and he was resentful of that from the get go. Like every, uh, there's a lot of resentment going through this. You can just tell. Uh, so she is a, a year older, but they're uh, in the same grade because he's so smart, and he got moved up a grade. Uh, and then they're at. Uh, he takes over her paper route. And so they're in the same neighborhood and, and he, he kind of he kind of fancies her. He takes over her paper route and he goes to great pains to point out how he was so much more successful than she was in the paper route, which is kind of <laughs> which is kind of weird. So while he's over at her house delivering papers, there are other people there and they're having a conversation and the prospect of uh, marriage comes up and the girl makes a joke about how uh, she's going to going to marry uh jordan peterson one day or maybe it's her friend that makes the joke well no no, no. she says uh, she says she would never she would never take her husband's name uh ah, you're right she My would never take she like would never charles, take her charles. husband's name uh though take it away charles so so i'm <laughs> um, so i suppose i'm gonna have to find someone who's kind of a wimp a wimp i'm gonna marry a wimp i'm gonna marry oh. a wimp so i won't have to take his name and then kind of looks at Jordan Peterson and waggles her eyes or whatever to be like, you seem like that kind of a pushover. And so that is our future. And then I guess like however many years later as adults, they meet and start dating. And uh, one of his conditions of marriage, because he's been seething, he's been carrying this 
fucking burden for over a decade is he's like, well, only if you take my name. And presumably, uh, presumably she did and regrets it. It's a natural hierarchy of things. It's all hierarchy. (laughs) He imposed order on her chaos by making her a Peterson. Man, he's if if you do any wrong to him, he's out there. He's going to get you. Yeah, he's not going to stop until he does. As an as an Arab, I respect revenge. (laughs) Revenge is a is a dish best served by making her live with you forever. (laughs) <laughs> revenge is a be- revenge is a dish best served with a marriage certificate. Uh, <laughs> revenge is uh, a dish best served uh, as a sandwich you just asked your wife to make you. <laughs> revenge is a dish best served with lobster, the most noble of all creatures. <laughs> Their, their nervous systems run on serotonin, just as ours do. They have a clotting agent very similar <laughs> to the clotting agent of uh, humans. They are one of the few non-mammal creatures with a blood clotting system. I don't know if he's ever said that. I just know it to be true. Um, <laughs> um, all right. I bought it. <laughs> I'm I'm impressed with the lobster knowledge. That's pretty yeah. good. Um, so, uh, any anything else? Any final uh, any final dunks? No, we have to. Yeah, we, we got to cut it off. All right. Horrible. This is horrible. yeah. This is. <laughs> we are now at hour fourteen. Um, so I'd like uh, I'd like to thank uh, everyone who joined me tonight, uh, Tarek and Mike and Adam. I am your host, Charles Starr. Good night, everybody. Night, folks. We got the guillotine. Lick it shot. We got the guillotine. You better run. We got the guillotine. We got the guillotine. You better run. We got the guillotine. We got the guillotine. You better run. We got the guillotine. We got the guillotine. You better run. We wanna thank you for flying with us. We know you could've stayed home, just cried and cussed Mail your guns go off if it's time to bust Mail they tanks have time to rust They got the armies turning bullets into gold They got the hookers turning tricks into code And every time the police kicks in the dough An angel gas breaks dips in the O And even if a D-boy flips in my O It ain't enough to buy shit anymore Sleep in the doorway, piss on the floor Look in the sky, wait for missiles to show It's finna blow, cause they got the TV We got the truth they own the judges and we got the proof. We got hella people, they got helicopters, they got the bombs, and we got the, we got the, we got the guillotine. We got the guillotine, you better run. We got the guillotine. We got the guillotine, you better run. We got the guillotine. We got the guillotine, you better run. We got the guillotine. We got the guillotine, you better run. Tell the boss, call police to escort them. You don't ride out them lies, you just quote them. 
Get offline, plug into this modem No, you can't outvote them The rules are still golden Only jewels we holdin' If we guard our scrolling If you press the ear to the turf that is stolen You can hear the sound of limitations exploding Please, sir, may we have another portion With children of the beast that dodge the abortion Neck plays firm between the floor and the portion We'll shut your shit down, don't call it extortion Caution, we're coming for your head So call the feds and get files to shred Every textbook read said bring you the bread But guess what, we got you instead We got the guillotine We got the guillotine